that special. That was beautiful. That was just really remarkable. I really appreciated that. Get a sip of water here. I loved all that singing. And especially there is a fountain filled with blood. It is my favorite song of all time. And I can't hardly sing it without crying. Just thinking of how wonderful it is that the God of all the universe would send His own Son on our behalf and shed His blood that we might live that the greatest sinner that has ever been could come and receive redemption. And it is just so marvelous that you just can't help but sing about it. If you can't sing that song with everything that's in you, there's, there's something that's not in you that should be. But uh, it's always a privilege to preach, and it's always an honor, especially to get to preach. There's nothing like preaching in the place where you grew up, and coming back and having that opportunity. And I want to thank my father for giving me that opportunity, and I want to thank all of you here for being here. So, if you all turned in your Bibles to the book of Luke chapter 16 and verse 1, we'll get started in the reading. And the Word of God says, And he said also... Unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. We'll go before the Lord in prayer and then we'll get started. Father, Lord, I come before you this morning. I just thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. I thank you, Father, for how powerful your word is to change our lives. I just pray, Father, that you would be glorified in everything that is said and done. And we would be different people, Father, Lord, that I would change, that I would apply the truth of this message to my own life. And everything that is said and done would be to thy glory. In the name of your Son, Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, I didn't know this when I picked this passage to preach, but this is actually, if you're going through your Bible reading, this is actually today's reading in the church's Bible reading schedule. And I had already picked it. I had decided this is what I was preaching a couple of days before that I found this out. And so I thought that fit together very well. And it even fit together well with the introduction, which is that there are some passages in the Bible that are there so that we can realize that God is smarter than we are and we're not going to understand them. So that's what they're there for. There's other passages that are there that are easy to understand why they're there. The story of the prodigal son that was yesterday's reading, I don't think anyone doing their daily Bible reading has read through the Gospel of Luke and come to Luke chapter 15 and said, huh, 
I wonder what's going on here. Now, if you really want to understand it, it's still going to take work. There's no passage of Scripture that doesn't have depths that require depths of application even just to apply it to our life and to realize what should change in my life as a result of this passage. And a story like the prodigal son, there's a lot of surface level application right there. There's other path. This story isn't like that quite as much. It has a meaning that needs to change our life. But when you first read it, at least when I first read it, and when I read it for the tenth time, I kind of wondered, what's going on in this story? Jesus is telling this as a parable. He's teaching his disciples. He's giving them something. He wants them to change in their lives. And yet, this steward is a scoundrel. And yet he seems to be used as a positive example. And we know he's not being used as a positive example of how to be a bad steward. That's not what Jesus is saying. But Jesus is saying something. And I think if we understand what Jesus is saying in this parable, we're going to have something that should change our life, not just today, but every day that we live. And let's return to the story to see what that reason is. So the steward was accused to the master of wasting his master's goods. So here's the master. He would have owned perhaps a lot of property. And we're going to see the scale of business he was operating on. This would have been a very, very wealthy man indeed. Perhaps one of the most power. You know, it's a story. But in the story, the master is one of the most powerful men in the country with the amount of resources that he controls and is able to lend out and to loan out to others. And so here's the master and someone comes to the master and they say, Master, do you know what your steward is doing? And a steward would have the same function that a manager would have today. He's managing the goods of the master. He's supposed to turn a profit on the goods of the master. That's his job. That's what a steward is supposed to do. And so here comes someone to the master and says, Master, your steward is wasting your goods. That's not what a steward is supposed to do. Bad steward. No good manager. He's wasting what he's supposed to be increasing. And so the master comes to the steward and he says, what is this I hear of thee? Thou mayest be no longer steward. You can't waste my stuff and be my manager. The two are not compatible. You are fired. Go make up your books and ready to turn over your job to somebody else because you're not going to work here anymore. Now, this presents a dilemma for the steward. He says, I can't dig. Now, whether or... And, and he's talking about doing manual labor, and that was a, 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 um, an idiom for doing manual labor, going digging ditches or working in the fields or any sort of manual labor, really. It was an agricultural society, so much manual labor would be connected to that. They didn't have factories building cars or things like that in the time of Jesus. And so he says, I can't dig. And whether or not he was physically capable, he certainly was unwilling. He didn't want to go work in the fields... And perhaps he couldn't work in the field. Maybe he was too weak because he hadn't even been being a good steward. He'd been wasting his master's goods, doing whatever he wanted to do. So I'm not going to dig. And I've been a manager. I've been management. I don't want to go beg. I mean, I I've driven the Mercedes down the street and pushed the other people out of the way. Didn't have a Mercedes for real. But, you know, he's been the hotshot guy that was in charge of everything. And I'm going to go stand on the street corner with a tin can no, I'm ashamed to do that. I don't want to do that. He didn't, he didn't want to do that. But he's about to lose his stewardship. He has maybe a day, maybe two days, 
maybe only a few hours to put his books in order and he's out of a job. And nobody's going to hire him to manage their stuff if this incredibly powerful and wealthy man has fired him for mismanagement. Ain't nobody else going to hire him. He's in a tough spot. And yet, he decided to use the position he still had for the short time that he still had it to prepare for when he would have it no longer. At the moment when his prospects look dimmish, I mean, he is in a dilemma. Big rock, very hard place, road blocked. He's stuck. And then he had an idea. And his idea was this. Do you know what? As long as I'm still being sent to make up my books, I'm still the steward. And as a steward, I have the authority to revise contracts. Now, this wouldn't work in our lawyer-based society. So we have to put on our thinking caps, put on our imagining caps, and think of the way that they did contracts in that day. Now, from the nature of the case, we couldn't be certain of this, but it's likely that these contracts were for land rental. They were for, they had the use of a certain amount of land, and these debtors were to pay in kind. They were to give so much oil, they were to give so much wheat in exchange for the land they were using. Something like tenant farming. That's the best explanation for what's going on in the story. And so the way that they would write these contracts is the person who was in debt or the person who owed this obligation, they would write out a contract. This is how they kept things from, from, uh, you know, from, you know, fraudulently claiming you owe me a bunch of money. Well, prove it. And here's how they'd prove it. They'd get the debtor and the debtor would write in their own hands, I owe you a hundred measures of wheat or I owe you 80 measures of oil, and they'd write it in their own hand, and then they'd give it to the person to whom they owed it. And so if there was ever a debate, how much do you owe me? I have it here in your own hand. And they don't have shotguns yet, so you can't say you did it at gunpoint. I have the debt right here, all right? And so the steward, as the steward is the manager, he had access to all of those contracts. And so out come the contracts, and he gets all of the master's debtors. And though there's two in particular that are mentioned, given the sums that we're dealing with here, as we're going to get to, there probably would have been a line out the door. If he had this much land to rent, there would have been plenty of it. So here's a line out the door, and there is the world's greatest discount program going on. Your, 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 your second-rate used car dealer doesn't have a better deal than this. So he called the first debtor in and he said, how much owest thou unto my Lord? And let's get where he says. And he said, and a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, take thy bill and sit down quickly and write 50. He had a narrow window of opportunity in which to do this. So he's getting them coming in. Take your bill, write it in shorthand, get it down quick, write it down as 50. And the steward would have the authority to do this because well, let's say there was a bad harvest. Well, you wouldn't get the full amount for the contract. Let's say there was a war. Let's say there was a plague of locusts. Then the steward, and in, 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 this is known from ancient times that they would do this in light of those circumstances, the person managing the property would have the right and would be expected to even to revise the contracts down. So he was using what the position he still had as a steward to write these contracts to lower the contracts down. So he takes the hundred measures of oil and makes it 50. He takes the hundred measures of wheat and he makes it 80. And so the, uh, these are substantial sums of money. The, uh, the oil would have been about three years salary for labor. That amount of oil would have been what a working man would earn for a period of three years. And the wheat would have been equivalent to about eight years of labor. So we're dealing with a lot 
of money. And you can imagine if there's a line of debtors and he's doing that across the board. These are people that are substantial land users in their own right. I mean, if you're able to if, if you're able to borrow 10 years salary or eight years salary, you're fairly wealthy yourself if they're willing to trust you with a loan that's that substantial. And so these are people that are going to be able to help the steward. And here's his plan. Once those debtors give the new contracts back, the master will not be able to recover the sum because he won't have access to what the original loan was for anyways. And even if he was going to change it back up, the debtors would have to cooperate. They would have to rewrite higher contracts and give it to them. That's not going to happen. And so, on the other hand... They had this this idea that if you do a favor for someone else, then that other person is obligated to do a favor for you. I scratch your back, you have to scratch mine, or you you are an outcast. You're a nobody. You and so even though what he was doing wasn't honest and wasn't right, they would still feel obligated to help him. In other words, he had put the goods. He had, if he had just taken the money and tried to run with the money. I'm sure the master would have caught up with him and he would have lost everything. He couldn't just embezzle some money. So what he did was effectively put it where he could get it and nobody else could. And at the end of the day, and so he would be able to go, he would be able to say, I'm going to stay with you for a month. And they'd say, welcome to our house. And then he'd go to the next guy and stay with them for a month. They're going to receive him into their houses. He's not going to be a steward anymore, but he's not going to have to beg and he's not going to have to dig And he used his window of opportunity so well that the very man that he stole from, all he could do was say, you are one clever guy. The unjust steward was commended by his master because even though even more of the goods had been squandered by this unjust and wicked steward, he could not help but giving his grudging admiration to the very cleverness of the rascal that had done it. He had taken full advantage of his window of opportunity. What was it that Jesus wanted his disciples to learn from this story? Why did he say that the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light? What could there possibly be about this scoundrel of a steward that we should emulate in our lives? The unjust steward shrewdly used what he still had to prepare for the time when he would no longer have it, setting an example of foresight that Jesus wanted his disciples to emulate. I know that was a little bit of a mouthful, so I'll read it one more time. The unjust steward shrewdly used what he still had to prepare for the time when he would no longer have it, setting an example of foresight that Jesus wanted his disciples to emulate. Because he sure enough didn't want them to emulate the ethics of the steward. That wasn't the point of the parable. He didn't want them to get ahead by cheapskate means. He didn't want them to be a lazy and good-for-nothing manager. None of those things was the point. But the point is what the, the point is that the steward used his stewardship for the short time that he still had it to prepare for the time when the stewardship would be his no longer. As one commentator put it, Jesus is saying that God's children who have a heavenly future should be as diligent in assessing the long-term effect of their actions as those who do not know God are in protecting their earthly well-being. Even though the steward was a scoundrel who was about to suffer the just consequences of his misdeeds, he still took stock of his situation and realized that he had a window of opportunity that would soon pass. 
The time was short, and if he had missed the opportunity to be prepared for the loss of his stewardship, he, he, he would have lost so much, and he would have been in a situation he would not have been able to recover from. The consequences would have been severe. The reality, though, is that we, too, are in a situation that requires prompt action. If you are a child of God, you have a heavenly future. And you have been given an opportunity to prepare for that future. Everything you have, life, health, finances, talents, whatever it is the Lord has given you, He has given it to you for but a short time. And if you do not use what you have while you still have it to prepare for the time that you will have it no longer to prepare for your eternal future, you will miss your window of opportunity and the consequences will be far more severe than the mere loss of a stewardship. No matter how old or how young you are, you only have a short time in which to use what you now have to prepare for the time in which you will no longer have it. You only have a short time to live. You do not know when you are going to die, but you do know that you will die and you will face eternity. You can only prepare for eternity while you are still alive and compared to eternity, even the longest of lives is but a short time in which to prepare. It is a window of opportunity that will soon close and it is a window that you cannot afford to miss. If you are to be prepared for the loss of your life, you must now exercise the foresight to evaluate everything about your life in light of the eternity that is coming. Living in the light of eternity will affect how you live your life today. In the light of eternity, your priorities will change. Because living for an eternal future means you are not living for what you can make sense of in the here and now, but rather living for the promises that you can only see through the eyes of faith. In the light of eternity, the holiness that God demands of his children makes sense in a way that if you don't look at it in the light of eternity, it does not make sense. In other words, if we just look at the here and now and we look at the circumstances we live in today and we look at the broken world in which we live and we hear God commanding us to be holy, it's not going to make sense because it was never intended to make sense because the command to be holy only makes sense in light of the reality that this world that we now live in isn't what we're living for. This world that we now live in is preparation for the future that is coming and that is for what we are to live for this is our opportunity to prepare for then the life that we have now is all that we have to prepare for a future in which we will be in an environment in which holiness makes complete and perfect sense because god is holy and we will be with him In light of eternity, achievements and accomplishments that seem so significant, and and we think, if if I could make this amount of money, or if I could have this brand of clothing in my closet, or if I could have this level on the corporate ladder, and then that level on the corporate ladder, or if I could have this house in this neighborhood, and we, we think of these, and they are accomplishments. If I could get this degree, if I could win this award, if I could have this athletic accomplishment, those sorts of accomplishments that seem so desirable and so overwhelmingly important if we're just looking here and now and we're just looking at the short life we have now if we look at our lives as an opportunity to prepare for eternity those sorts of achievements are not going to rank as high they're not that significant in the light of the eternal future that God has called us to prepare for in the light of eternity we will realize that we will one day face the judgment seat of Christ And he will evaluate how we have really spent our lives. It doesn't matter how many accolades, how much money, how much of whatever we've done or learned or become. If we're not prepared for that day, 
then we've wasted our opportunity. You only have whatever money you do have for a short, short time. And that time is all that you have to use that money to prepare for your eternal future. This is something Jesus himself pointed out directly after he gave this very parable. The only way to make friends of, the only way to gain eternal benefit from the money that has proven to be the root of the destruction of so many is to send it on ahead of you by giving it away now. The window of opportunity in which you have to use your money to prepare for the eternal future that is coming may be much briefer even than the window of opportunity that you have to use your life to prepare for that eternal future. Because you could wake up on any given day in the world in which we live, we could wake up and realize that the dollar has become worthless. And whatever we've done with our money up to that point is all we're ever going to do with it because we don't have any money anymore and neither does anybody else. So we're not going to make any more. So the time that we have to prepare for a future, the window of opportunity that we have to make our money count for the eternity that is coming is so short. And if we don't use that opportunity to the best of our knowledge, we will have nothing to give back to him. You must use the money you have while you still have it to prepare for the time when you no longer will have any. Using your money in the light of eternity means that though there is nothing wrong with preparing for retirement, and we should prepare for retirement, you will be in eternity a whole lot longer than you will be in retirement. And preparing for that eternity is the top priority, and everything else is a secondary priority. The only way to make your money count for eternity is to give it away now. There's nothing wrong with having a balance in your bank account. Probably most of us wish the balance in the bank account was higher than it was. But if getting that wealth and raising that bank balance requires your relationship with God to suffer and requires that your preparations for eternity decrease, you're making a terrible mistake. Because if you're living in the light of opportunity, and sorry about that, if you're living in the light of eternity, you will realize that the life that you have and the money that you have isn't an end in and of itself, but it's only a window of opportunity. It's only something you can use to prepare for what is coming, not something to live for. When we are thinking in the light of eternity, missions becomes more important to us and seeing people saved and seeing the church grow and seeing other people help is more important than the kind of car that we drive or the kind of house that we live in. There's nothing wrong or sinful with driving a nice car or living in a nice house. That's not the point at all. But the point is that when we live in the light of eternity, when we view the life that we have now and we realize the reality that this is preparation time, this is not the end, and this is all that we have to prepare for the future that is coming, then we'll use it to prepare for the future. That steward, he could have taken his stewardship and had one last party. But he didn't. He had had plenty of parties before. He had made plenty of foolish decisions before. But the way that he demonstrated wisdom is that he realized that the time was short. And so he used that time for preparation rather than partying. When everyone that is here today, no matter how much money you make or how little money you make, You have the same seven days a week. Dr. Hardy, Dr. Dave Hardy, who's preached here before, we had a class with him called Pastorology. And he would remind us almost every week, Sons, you have the same seven days a week, 24 hours a day that I have, that Pastor Davison has, and later Pastor Gaddis has. 
and that anyone else, the most wealthy man in the world, the president of the United States, we all have the same amount of time. And it's so true. The time that we have is limited. And yet, that limited time, that seven days a week, that 24 hours a day, is all that you have to make preparation for eternity. It's so easy to get busy with the day-to-day busyness of getting up and eating breakfast and running late to work and trying to beat the traffic or trying to withstand the subway crowds or trying to walk and, 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 and just get there on time and not get delayed by those crazy stoplights that seem to want to persecute everyone who's in a hurry. And get so caught up with that and coming home and taking care of the house and going to the bank and paying the bills and doing all of these things that we happen in our lives that we can forget to take account of the long-range eternal impact of our choices. Compared to eternity, our time on earth is so very short. And if we are to be prepared for that eternity, we must act promptly because if we fail to act promptly, we will lose the opportunity to act at all. And if we're Living in the light of the reality that the time that we have is so limited, then time spent with God and time preparing our relationship for the one with whom, if we are believers, we'll spend eternity with is going to be so much more important than time spent in entertainment or time spent on trivial matters. And we'll realize in the light of this short window of opportunity that we have, we cannot afford to be careless about how we spend our time. Living in the light of an onrushing eternity means that we must take Make each hour count for, we do not know if each hour might be our last. As believers, we face the reality that this short life here on earth is the only opportunity that we have to prepare for eternity. Just as the steward used the last few hours of his stewardship to prepare for when he would be no longer steward, we must use the life that we still have to prepare for an eternity in which preparation is no longer possible. Once our lives are over, we will not be able to make any more preparation. For all that we will have is what we have prepared in the short time that we still had opportunity to do so. We are living in an urgent situation. We do not know how much more time we have, but what we do know is the time that we have is limited. Are you using that time well? Are you using the time that you have to prepare for eternity Are you using the opportunities you have to prepare for when you will no longer have them? Are you using what you have now to prepare for when you will no longer have it? Are you using your window of opportunity wisely? And in thinking about this question and in reflecting on this question in my own life, it would be easy to become discouraged. Because the reality is if I look back on my life and any of us looks back on our lives, your lives, and you compare the opportunities that you've had to prepare for eternity with the use that you've made of those opportunities, it would be a sad picture for the best person in this room. The money that God has blessed you with and the preparation you've made for the future. The time that God has given you and the way that you've used it, and the way that I've used it, and the way that I've used my money. And it would be easy to look at this story and to become discouraged and say, man, I've blown it. What can I do? And yet, if that's the message that we come away with, we've missed the point. Because even though it's easy to become discouraged, that's not the point of the parable at all. Though though the unjust steward used his opportunity 
he was by no means an example of lifelong, long-range planning. The reason he was in trouble to begin with was because he'd been careless and wasteful. He had wasted his opportunities. He had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be a good steward, to turn around, to change his path, to make use of his master's resources, to gain profit from those resources. And he failed and he failed and he failed and he failed, just like many of us have failed and failed and failed. And yet he had a window of opportunity still. And that was the point that Jesus gave to his disciples was you have a window of opportunity. All of them had failed him. And yet, they had an opportunity to make preparation for eternity. And as no one, though no one here knows how much time you have left, you may only have a few hours to live. I may only have a few hours to live. On these crazy streets of New York City, any one of us could get into a car accident at any time. And our life would be over. We could get cancer, advanced cancer, and it could be a few days, a few weeks. We don't know how long we have to live. For many of us, the memory of what happened on September 11th, the anniversary is coming up and it will be an opportunity to refresh our minds of the terrible things that happened on that day. And the people who went to work that day, I doubt any of them thought, today might be my last. But the reality is that it was. And the reality is that each of us, we could die today. And once we are dead, our window of opportunity is over. But as long as you're sitting here breathing, and I don't see anyone here that's not breathing. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Well, you probably wouldn't be able to. But I don't see anybody here that's not alive. And that means if you're here and you're breathing, your window of opportunity is still open. Glory to God. You must seize the opportunity because you don't know how much longer you have. You may be sitting here and you may have gone through so many presentations of the gospel. You could give the plan of salvation in your sleep. You may have rejected Christ time and time again. Perhaps you prayed a sinner's prayer when you were a small child and you've known that you're not saved and you've known you don't really know the Lord for years and years and years and you've turned your back on on the opportunity to repent time and time again and you think, my heart is so hard, I can never turn in repentance again. I, I would... I just can't confess to people I played a game for so long. And that could be what you think. But really, if you're still alive, the window of opportunity is still open and you could be saved today. Don't waste the opportunity. It could be that you're here and you know you need to be saved and you're not meaning to not turn to Christ. But you think tomorrow will work. Tomorrow will work. I'm not quite ready yet. I'm not ready to turn from my sin. I'm not ready to humble myself before a holy and a righteous God. I'm not willing to believe that Jesus is the only way. But maybe tomorrow I will be. But you don't know that tomorrow will come. The window of opportunity is short. But it's still open. For the greatest sinner that has ever lived and ever been born. It could be that there is sin in your life and you're a believer. But there's a sin in your life that you've struggled with for years until you've given up on struggling. It's a thorn in your side and a thorn in the side of others. And yet you think that there's no hope. You'll have to enter eternity and face God never having gained the victory that he died to give you. 
It could be it's a secret addiction. It's been in your life for so long, you can't remember what it was like to not have it. You tried to get rid of it, you tried to give it up, and yet your efforts have been unsuccessful, and you think, there's no hope for me anymore. But my friends, there is hope, because there still is power in the blood, and there still is a precious fountain open, and it's not just able to save you from hell, it's able to deliver from the sins sins that were sending you there in the first place. And there's a window of opportunity that is open in which for you to prepare to stand before for God and be ready for the judgment seat of Christ. But you don't know how long that window of opportunity is. It could be there's bitterness that runs so deep you don't think you'll ever get the victory. And you struggle and you struggle and you've given up everything but trying to hide the effects of that sin in your heart and pretend like it's not really there. There's hope for that. It could be you haven't been faithful in your finances and And God's blessed you with provision your whole life and you've had this financial resource and that financial resource. And instead of laying up treasures in heaven, you've built sandcastles on earth. Some of them have already washed away. And you wonder, man, nothing I can do now. But as long as you still have a dollar and as long as you're still breathing, you can change your ways and you can prepare for eternity. It doesn't have to be a huge amount. It's the heart where your treasure is. There will your heart be also. And what Jesus wanted his disciples to do is to realize you have an eternal future. This steward had just a miserable few years of existence that was marred by his own sins. And that's all he had left. And yet he used what he had to prepare for that future. And you have this glorious future. You have heaven ahead of you. And you have all of eternity to prepare for. And you're going to waste the precious salvation that's been given to you and you're not going to use the life that's been given to you to prepare for that future. That's why he said the children of this world are wiser in their generation than the children of light because so many of those that are in this world that have this little short time to prepare for make great preparations and they are ready for retirement and many believers make preparations for this short period of time but they have an eternal future that's so much greater and more glorious than what someone like the steward has to prepare for and yet their preparations are like this. And it's a sad day. And they're going to realize when the time of preparation is over. And some that are here today will realize when the time of preparation is over that the preparations made couldn't be compared to the opportunities or to the eternity that needed to be prepared for. It could just be that you become distracted. I think many of those here, some of you have been here and been faithful. It is such an encouragement to me to see people that were here when I left that are still here. People that were here when I only came up to their knees and they're still here and still faithful. And it is such a blessing. And many of you have looked and seen the future that is coming and you've seen eternity and you've made preparations for that. And I thank God for that. But no matter what you set out to do, we live in a distracting world. So many times in my own life, I've said, I'm going to do this with my time. I'm going to spend this much time with God. I'm going to witness 
to people this much of my time. I'm going to give this to the Lord. I'm going to do this with my time. I'm going to be focused in this way on the eternal future that He's given me. And I've become distracted. Because this is a distracting world. And the devil loves to take believers that are living faithful lives and bring a little extra entertainment into their life and give them a few more hours to work. Give them a few friends that, you know, really don't love the Lord very much. Even just weariness that all of us face as we become weary and weighed down with cares. Our eyes that once were looking ahead and we were preparing, they lower. They lower and they lower until we're just preparing for this little bit. And we lose sight of the eternal future that's coming. And yet, there's hope for that too. Because it doesn't matter how distracted you become, today could be the day that you get undistracted. It doesn't matter what your situation is. There is still power in the blood. There is still an eternal future to prepare for. And there is still a window of opportunity to prepare for that future that is coming. Just like that steward, even though he was about to lose his stewardship, he had this much space to prepare for the time when he would no longer have it. So we who do not know how much longer we have to live, who do not know how much longer we'll have the financial resources that we do have, we don't know that, but we do know there's an eternity coming. And there are some of you here that are not prepared for that eternity at all, and you don't have an eternal future to prepare for, because you've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you've never come to him for salvation I don't know who you are but in a crowd of this size I'm certain there is someone here that doesn't know the Lord and what you need to do is you don't know if you walk out that door if you'll live another hour but you do know while you're here you have breath still and a window of opportunity in which to turn to Christ is still yours and you still can believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you still can be saved today because right now you do have a window of opportunity in which to trust in the Lord. You may never have another one but you have one now. And if you're a believer that is here, that has been distracted, you may never have another opportunity to focus on the Lord but you can turn to Him in repentance and faith and you have that opportunity now. The question is, what are you going to do with it? No matter how many opportunities to prepare you have missed before, if you are still alive, you still have one more. What are you going to do with it? What am I going to do with it? What are each of us going to do with it? I'm going to go before the Lord in prayer and then we'll be done. Father, I come before you. I just thank you for this opportunity to have preached your word. I pray, Father, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored. I pray, Father, that, Lord, you've given me so many opportunities. I, I've wasted so many, Father. But I pray that in my life, Father, Lord, that I would use the opportunities you've given me to prepare for the future that is coming. I pray, Father, Lord, if there's someone here that does not know you, that has never, never come to you in repentance and faith, that today would be the day that they would turn and receive that salvation that brings with it the most wonderful future imaginable. I pray for each of us here, Father, if in an area of our life we've not been making the preparations we ought to make, that we would change and turn, and we would begin to make wise use of what you give us. 
to, to prepare for the time in which we'll no longer be able to make use of anything. I thank you for your precious Son, for it is in his name that I pray. Amen.